Ever since the day that COVID suddenly took a far back seat, you know, about the time that the Ukraine war began, very little really has been said about COVID comparatively to the past. For the moment, for example, mass mandates are gone. Now they may come back, but they're gone now. And the vaccine, the fake vaccine push has actually settled it down a little bit. At least I haven't heard any more of vaccine lotteries going on recently in Oregon. The pandemic is now over, right? So you would expect this is the end of the Corona mania story, but let me assure you it isn't. What's happening right now has potentially very grave consequences, not only for every doctor in America, but for every patient in America as well. And we do need to swiftly act upon this. You're listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve Latulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. If you are interested in discovering truth, you have come to the right place. Today, I'd like you to meet a very special doctor, one who herself has faced persecution because she actually chose to abide by her Hippocratic Oath and... She chose also to insist on defending her constitutional rights. Her name is Dr. Molly James. Dr. Molly James is board certified in general surgery and critical care medicine. She also holds a certification in functional medicine. Molly is one of those heroic doctors who volunteered her ICU skills for COVID treatment in New York City since April of 2020, in addition to all of her regular hospital duties. She actually has founded the James Clinic, and she bravely treated patients in their homes in a setting that was called hospitals, so that the patients would not be subjected to the abusive NIH hospital protocol that has been responsible for the deaths of thousands of hospitalized patients across the country. Dr. James, I wholeheartedly welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me here. Well, you know, I think most of the world has figured out by now that the current system of medicine not only isn't working, but also it cannot be trusted in any way. I mean, something has really gone wrong here. And Molly, you yourself have been persecuted, as have many doctors now, for not complying with the vaccine mandate. And you were terminated in all your ICU positions, I, from what I have heard. It, how is this actually affecting your life? Yeah. So basically, if you go back to the beginning of, of the craziness in September of, or uh, March of 2020, um, I was working to basically two full-time equivalents in the ICU. So I was working in the Midwest. I was working in New York. I went back and forth for 18 months. Um, so it started bothering me because... Um, I, I was made aware of ivermectin. So all of this kind of happened the first nine months, you know, from March, 2020, December, 2020, everything was pretty much the same. We were struggling to figure out the best way to treat patients in the hospital. We were adding things like blood thinners and steroids, and we started to see a few people get better, but not the majority. And around the end of the year, two things happened. One is that 
I learned about ivermectin from Dr. Corey. I finally heard his Senate testimony through the censorship and was exposed to the fact that there might be this great treatment out there that we had been ignoring. Um, also, the vaccine started coming to market. So what happened is we started seeing vaccinated patients in the ICU uh, within about 30 to 60 days, including patients who had natural immunity, their arm was twisted to take the vaccine and had a cardiac arrest. Um, so two things happen at once. One is I'm trying to treat my patients with ivermectin and the hospital basically cancels my orders repeatedly. Um, they said, you can't use it. It's not approved. And I would order it consistently. I would get lots of questions if they would treat with it or they would just cancel it depending which hospital it was. Um, at the same time, you know, the vaccines were available. The propaganda push in the hospitals to get it was massive on a scale. I've never seen anything like that in, in a hospital before. Um, and then as they started to, to twist our arms more um, and then mandate it, and then we were going through the exemption process. And I actually did get one of my jobs. I, I received a religious exemption. However, I did not think that the testing policy met what I would call evidence-based medicine. Um, we were treating patients all around us who were testing negative for COVID, even though they were symptomatic, they were not testing patients who had received a vaccine. So it was punitive. It was not a public health measure. And I told them that. And so I was suspended um, based on that. Well, that sounds pretty pathetic to me. Of course, the evidence, the true evidence uh, regarding ivermectin is beyond question uh, because the, the value of ivermectin has been proven time and again, for anybody that would listen, um, let me ask you this, though. In the hospital, were you actually pressured to use remdesivir and these other ineffective treatments that are supposedly treatments? Or do, were you granted some liberty in choosing how to treat those patients? Well, so keep in mind, I was at a number of different hospitals, right? So each different hospital had their own flavor of how they adopted remdesivir. So... If you read the study when it came out, it wasn't tested in critically ill patients. So it was never intended to be treated in the ICU, used in the ICU. So one of the first things they did is they were giving it to everybody at first within 10 to 14 days of illness. Then they were looking for reasons to give it to patients. And then one of the first things they pushed back on is said, if you're on oxygen or on ventilators, you shouldn't be on, on it. Um, so I, I don't think I hardly ever ordered it. I certainly didn't order it when I realized that it caused any harm. Um, the problem is it's the lowest common denominator in the hospital, right? There's a number of consultants on the case. So if the infectious disease consultant or the pulmonologist wants to give it, it's hard to push back against that. So I would say not as much pressure for me to order it as there was always somebody who was ordering it, despite the fact that I was trying to stop it. Okay, that makes uh, a lot of sense, actually. And um, I'm glad to hear that you were not the uh, lone ranger in this assault on patients, because that is what it has become. Um, supposedly, though, you know, the, the COVID propaganda just kind of went away, fizzled out, and suddenly everybody just stopped talking about it. But we know that coronamania is far from over. The havoc that they have caused already has been extensive. I mean, we've witnessed absolute devastation from the lockdowns, 
We've seen what it has done to children, as well as the masking, which truly did uh, handicap children in ways that may affect them for the rest of their lives because some are so young. And I believe that there's still a lot more yet to come. Uh, the, the tragedy of this response to COVID and the pandemic is yet to be fully uh, appreciated and realized. But the so-called vaccine has been proven to be exactly opposite what the toxic shock pushers claim. It is not safe and it is not effective. And, you know, we have that data. So why are they now pushing for the fourth shot? Yeah, this is so inexplicable. I mean, this is why, as you well know, doctors who are in our camp, right, who have been pushing against this and realizing we're so befuddled because it defies logic. So there has to be um, um, there has to be an evil intent to it because it's not supported by science. Um, we're, we're seeing how many deaths from it. I mean, it has to be well over six figures. Um, we know it's causing rampant illness in almost every field, neurology, rheumatology, cardiology, um, we're seeing spikes in early and aggressive cancers. You know, of course, we quote can't say that the vaccine causes it. Unquote. Um, so, which is interesting to me. Um, we well, we know very clearly that this is causing harm, and the fact that it remains on the market, it remains. You know, in my world, it's not being pushed at all. <laughs> but I've like, kind of isolated myself from from the nonsense. Um, but it is being pushed. And I just read something that they're in Louisiana. They want children to take it as part of their vaccine series to go to school. You know, they've never justified in adults, let alone children, the fact that there's a public health emergency with them. Where, what are we trying to accomplish with that? It, it just, it defies logic. It does. It defies logic. It, and I agree with you completely. There has to be an evil intent because we know that the vaccine was designed to actually produce more spike protein, which is the same thing that the virus produces. And so you are doing nothing more than furthering the damage. And as you mentioned, the, the fact that uh, virtually every organ system in the body is affected by the shot, by the spike protein, you know that this is also a result of the new uh, technology that allowed the vaccine to be completely dispersed throughout the body, including crossing the blood-brain barrier. So this has to have evil intent. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. Mm -hmm. Now, we have actually seen already millions of injuries and deaths from the fake vaccine. We've also seen uh, been seeing a significant resurgence of COVID. Uh, do you think there's actually a connection between the shot, Molly, and the new COVID variants that we now are observing? So, yeah, for most of the people listening to this, I think you have to have a high level of skepticism about any data in the U.S. right now. Um, I think those of us who were on the ground can state that the numbers that they were posting did not correlate with what we were seeing in the hospital. So as early as late last summer, they were stating that everyone in the hospital that was getting sick and dying did not have the, shot, the vaccine and everyone who was doing well did. And we know that wasn't the truth. But if you look at data outside of the U.S., um, what we're seeing is that, that the people who are getting sick are for, for boosted, right? The sicker, the, the dose dependent, the sicker the patients are, the more doses of booster they've had. Um, 
And we know that it suppresses the immune system in a number of different ways. So that makes sense, right? Um, we're also seeing a resurgence of latent viruses. So we're seeing things like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr, shingles are mm -hmm. coming back in patients. Um, so we know that something's happening with the immune system that's leaving patients vulnerable. Yeah. Now you mentioned something. You said, you know, we have to look at data outside of the United States. I mean, that's something that we didn't do a whole lot of before, not like uh, we do now. Could you please explain, uh, Dr. James, why it is that we have to look at data outside of the United States? I mean, why do we have to go there as opposed to our own medical literature, our own specialists? I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, with the collection of data, um, it seems like the yellow card system in, in the UK, I'm not intimately familiar with it, but it's, it's more universally tracked data. It's more accessible and highly reported. Um, so if you, if you look at, again, what some of the people who are skeptical of this intervention in the US have been saying, it matches the data coming out of like the UK and some of the European nations that have very rigid public health reporting systems. In the US, if you look at the data and you say, that doesn't agree with what I'm seeing on the ground, what you have is instances where if you go to the hospital, if they know you had a vaccine and can confirm it, you're vaccinated. If they don't know or you can't prove it, you're not vaccinated. Like it's a, it's a default reporting system. We know that things like VAERS, VAERS is the, the vaccine adverse event reporting system, maybe catches 1%. And, you know, lots of on the ground reports of people who have gone in and tried to report things after 30 minutes or so of trying to put a report in, they get booted out, they don't get a confirmation that that went through. I mean, that's a pretty high bar. If you unexpectedly lose someone or have someone who's dealing with a severe illness, is your priority sitting at a computer at a government website to, to put the data in? And all of that data is vetted. Um, each case is reviewed. A lot of those are kicked out. So anything that you see as a statistic um, has been verified and reviewed by medical personnel. Yeah. Okay. So I think you answered the question that the, the problem that I see, uh, and you used a fine example, the VAERS vaccine adverse events reporting system, that is uh, a collection of data that is dependent upon input from potentially anybody can report uh, a va vaccine adverse event. But as you said, if that is vetted and it is, then it's a real concern because it totally detracts from the authenticity of the reporting and you wonder what's not being told. And of course, I think we all know what is not being told. And for that reason alone, because we simply cannot trust our medical system in America, we have to go elsewhere because the deception um, among most doctors and most scientists in America is over the top with corruption. So, um, yeah, it just leaves us no other choice, right? And if you look at reporting, so a drug company that runs and funds its own study, right, should be more than willing to show their data um, because it's already biased based on their fact that they're funding it, they're collecting it, they're reporting it, they're writing it up, they're creating the exemptions. Um, but when you look at Pfizer is trying to hide their data for 75 years, their data, <laughs> I mean... The way to refute any concern of the kind of corruption that we're alleging and, you know, have, are concerned about is full transparency. 
So you would think exactly. that the people manufacturing it would go over the top to be transparent about what they're doing um, to refute those claims. And in fact, we have the exact opposite. We have the opposite response and we have people trying to shut down any access to this information. We have the CDC saying, well, we're not really telling you what the vaccine side effects are because God forbid, you may not think these things work. So basically what they're doing is they're taking the decision-making abilities out of your hands. So you can't have truly informed consent on what you're, you're agreeing to, which is already out the window because you've been coerced with your job and your livelihood and your children's education. Um, and they're even removing it out of your hands further. Sure. It, it just makes common sense that if, if they're trying to withhold the data, they're obviously hiding something. And in the meantime, here they are pushing another booster. And of course they want to get, uh, an injection into every arm uh, in every person in the United States. And that includes even the very young children and infants uh, starting at six months of age. And this is absolutely despicable, but this is what we are now facing. And um, how do we combat that? Uh, now, there's another problem that I saw too, and this actually was on one of our threads with the um, American uh, Freedom Doctors, um, Someone commented that actually they were discussing uh, with a cohort in a hospital, a younger um, doctor who, who had no idea what the word VAERS even meant. Now, that's unfathomable until you realize that actually what's happening in medical schools is that these, new, these medical students are being taught protocols they are being taught how to function in socialized medicine, and therefore they are not going to be given the right tools to be an actual good discerning physician. It's just not going to happen. I personally couldn't believe that a doctor did not know what VAERS was all about. Yeah, you would think, so again, going back to logic and common sense, if you were on the up and up, and you were being very transparent and you wanted to launch the greatest vaccine campaign in modern history, and you were concerned about the side effects because you had rushed it through and hadn't thoroughly tested it, you know, less than a tenth of a time that you usually take to develop and produce a vaccine. Sure. What I would do as a thinking person is I would launch an education campaign right next to that. And in parallel, this is how you report concerns that you have, and they'll be thoroughly investigated. And we will have rapid response to that and address those questions so that we can understand what's happening and, and um, you know, educate people and be on top of what's happening as we launch this huge campaign. Instead, you know, it's my understanding reading the book, um, The Real Anthony Fauci, that we actually do have a robust vaccine injury reporting system that was put on the shelf intentionally so that we wouldn't catch all of these because they said it would, quote, overwhelm the system. Well, if you look at the CDC's charge, not only is it disease control, but is also vaccine safety. So they have a major conflict of interest. They put this reporting system on the shelf and they have financial gain because they're invested in the vaccine production. Um, so they get an investment on a return on investment. So I think we really need to look at, at those types of things, you know, who, who has conflicts of interest and how can we separate those out so that we're getting physicians who aren't biased systems that aren't biased. And we really are holding the public, public health and the individual public health and safety at the highest levels. That's what we need to do. Absolutely. Um, my real concern is that, you know, we have uh, doctors who are actually speaking up 
um, doing their very best to just expose the real data and interpret it in a common sense way. But, you know, the, the real problem in this propaganda war and the propaganda that we hear is the, the major tool uh, in the attack against our whole government, uh, against the people, rather. Um, it's very hard to sometimes convince people because all that the enemy of truth really has to do is create a little bit of doubt or skepticism. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you think, Dr. James, that actually we are making a dent, we are reaching people uh, in such a way that they are convinced that what we, uh, who are being declared misinformers and disinformers, are, do you think that people are receiving our message and being convinced simply because they are using common sense? Uh -huh. Yeah, I think there's three camps of people, right? There's about 20% of people who knew what was happening from day one and are never going to touch any of the, the shots or anything like that. You've got 20% that are going to do anything you tell them to, wear a mask, get a shot, whatever you tell them to, they're going to trust that you're being honest. And then you've got 60% of people in the middle. And I think that is where we're really making the biggest difference because they can hear this propaganda 95% of the time. But when you see real life results, when you see your loved one got a medication and they turned around as opposed to somebody else who went to the hospital and didn't make it out, that turns hearts. And we are making an impact because again, this defies common sense and logic at every turn. Well, I agree fully with that. The I've had, I don't know how many patients or, or people just contacting me uh, on my platforms uh, and through this program saying, hey, I've got so-and-so in the hospital, uh, you know, a father, a brother, a cousin, and they're asking, um, how do I get them out? And I've actually referred several of those patients to you, uh, but some of them told me uh, the short of the story, namely that their loved one died simply because they didn't have the truth. And I think that we are, are doing a pretty good job at sorting out the truth and trying to eliminate as much confusion as we possibly can. And of course, that's what got me in trouble in the very first when I went public stating that masks do not work. They are not an effective barrier. And I stated that I had treated COVID patients with 100% success in the short time that I treated them before my license was taken. But we have to keep on attacking the, the lies and all of the deception that, that people are hearing every day. And on that point, I'd actually like to ask you a little uh, of your opinion on the topic of COVID long haulers. I mean, what's going on with these people? And um, is this a treatable condition? And if treatable, how effective has the treatment been? What, what's your whole take on COVID long haulers? Yeah, first, I want to address your first point, which is that we need to push back on a narrative. The issue and the challenge is this. Those of us doctors who are pushing back, most of us are taking care of patients, right? Like we're busy, focused on the patient in front of us that needs us. We don't want to go on the attack to, to address those kinds of things. Um, so it's just a sheer manpower issue and where we want to put our attention. Um, as for long haul, the way I think of long haul is in a normal virus, what happens is your body sees the virus, it presents the viral fragments or the, the antigens um, to the immune system, right? And then the immune system activates, attacks, 
resolves it and then quiets back down. And what my simple way of thinking about it in COVID long haulers is the virus was there. It activated the immune system, the immune system attacked, and then just never got to that point where it shut off. Um, so whether it's the spike protein, I kind of think of it also as like an autoimmune to the spike protein, right? There's all kinds of antibodies floating around and that inflammatory cascade just never shut off. Um, so there's a lot of things we're doing with long haul. We're starting to see really good success with it. And it kind of goes back to the functional medicine integrative stuff that we're doing. Um, so you want, you want to do everything in your power to calm inflammation and calm down the immune system. So we're using supplements and things like curcumin. Um, we're looking at the gut and calming that down. Um, high dose omega threes, uh, over five grams. Um, Phenofibrate is one of my favorite prescriptions that I'm adding back in. It neutralizes the spike protein. It cleaves clotting. Um, so when you look at that, you've got all these uh, antibodies and inflammatory proteins around. What happens is the blood gets sticky. You don't get good perfusion um, through the capillaries. So the symptoms that present are really the areas that are most vulnerable. So I've had people with pretty severe neurologic issues. Those can end up as psychiatric we have people with cardiac issues. If it, the heart is the most vulnerable, those are the two areas that use the most energy and the most oxygen. So that makes sense. That's the majority of the symptoms. I see a lot of people with gut issues, fatigue, and things like that. So uh, we're using a combination of hyperbaric oxygen because it kind of bypasses or it creates an oxygen gradient to get around this quote sticky blood. Um, we're using IV vitamin C, which is very potent anti-inflammatory, uh, helps with the energy as well. And then we're using a, a prescription, you know, regimen based on ivermectin. I use low-dose naltrexone and some patients I've been using Maraviroc. Um, it's just a little cost prohibitive, um, but we're starting to see some really good results with that. So it's, a well, it's good to hear. Could, could you just throw out there maybe just a, a just a general uh, percentage of, of improvement with the treatment or, or, you know, what kind of success are you actually seeing? Yeah, I would see most, say most of our patients within 60 to 90 days are probably 60 to 70% better. Um, a lot of them do better and then have little setbacks along the way too. So I don't know if that's another COVID infection or if that's just something else in the world going on or stress you know, I think there's confounding variables. Like I said, the resurgent Epstein-Barr virus or resurgent Lyme can, can complicate those things. Um, but then, you know, we kind of troubleshoot and we get them back on track and then we see improvement again. So it just depends kind of what route they want to take, um, you know, what their ability to invest in the recovery is. Um, hyperbarics, you know, we use a soft chamber. I think hard, the hard chamber that can increase the oxygen gradient even further probably is more effective and faster. Um, so lots of tools in our tool belt if you understand the disease process. Well, I think that's very exciting and I think people do need to hear it. Um, there's another component uh, to this um, enhancement of the immune system. Of course, when you have an activated immune system uh, responding to anti 
antigens, uh, and then the antibodies are produced, um, it can sometimes be very detrimental. But if you are talking about just enhancing, improving your immune system, in other words, maximizing your resilience against the insult of this virus or the, the so-called vaccine, um, the other component is very, I guess you would say, uh, naturopathic or holistic in a, with a lowercase h, and that is that a happy person who is not living in fear actually is much more healthy. If you're out there enjoying life, uh, if you are socializing, uh, because socialization is so important for people, and if you are just living a, a life that gives you comfort and peace and some joy, then that also is a huge component to actually improving your odds of being able to fight disease in general. We know that disease uh, is worse in people who are depressed and anxious and people living in fear, as we have seen so much through this whole pandemic response, um, that sets people up for devastation, does it not? I mean, do you incorporate any of that? That's a great question. So um, we get everyone on the spectrum from people who really never stop living their lives and have continued to travel and be active and, you know, spend time with friends and family to I have patients who haven't been out of their home for two years. Um, so, yes, one of the components of our long haul program is a weekly meeting. Um, I have two two of my colleagues with a master's degree in positive mindset. And basically they meet with patients and the patients talk to each other. And I think we all acknowledge that any two people who discuss um, what they're going through with each other are going to get better. So we try to, we try to cover that positive mindset and mentally preparing them that they're recovering while they're physically recovering as well. And I agree with you completely fear and that stress response is an immune suppressant. So those people who are living in fear and just won't shut the TV off, they're actually doing more harm than good to themselves. Absolutely. Well, it sounds to me like you're doing a fantastic job. Um, I'd like to say a little bit more uh, with regard to the James Clinic, but we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back and uh, get to answering some of these really important questions. Be right back. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com 
and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. You can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Welcome back. You're listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip and Dr. Molly James. You can listen to this broadcast, by the way, at 12 and 5 Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. All of my podcasts and weekly columns uh, can also be accessed at AmericaOutloud.com. Go down to our team, Dr. Steve LaTulip and uh, you can access all prior podcasts and columns. And please do spread the word. We are trying to reach the world to educate them with the truth. The world needs to know the truth. Today, I have as a guest Dr. Molly James. She is a genuine freedom doctor who truly cares about people, and I am so grateful to God for her. And because of her regard for patients and for truth in medicine, she has been sorely persecuted, as so many doctors in America and across the globe have experienced. However, I do believe that the tide is slowly turning and more doctors are waking up. But let's face it, it's not happening fast enough for me and possibly fast enough for you. As we have discussed today, we have another booster and the initial shots uh, being still offered to now to kids and other adults who would be gullible enough to take them. And these are for an extinct strain of coronavirus and it's still being pushed. And they're trying to get a shot into every arm in the world, including children who have 0% chance of dying from COVID, but a high likelihood of facing vaccine injuries and even death. And that is just unacceptable. This is one of the reasons uh, why Dr. Molly James is actually in this fight, and we need to recruit more doctors um, to do what she has done. Now, I would just like to take a second and put an emphasis on the James Clinic, because through that work, Dr. James, you actually were able to either keep people out of the hospital, or you actually managed to get people out of the hospital who were not receiving appropriate treatment, or worse, who are receiving actually harmful treatments. Could you just briefly elaborate on that a little bit? And why would you need to actually get someone out of the hospital? 
Yes. So this goes back to fundamental understanding of what got people in the hospital for COVID, right? Which, as we all know, is an overwhelming inflammatory response called cytokine storm. So you have a patient in, in the hospital who is given a minutia, tiny amount of steroids, and they're dying of an inflammatory condition. So the patient in bed one has COVID gets only six milligrams of a steroid. The patient in bed two with asthma gets a hundred milligrams of a steroid. Guess who goes home? Um, so we had to get patients out of the hospital because we knew as they started to go into cytokine storm, there's almost nothing the hospitals do to address that. And as we got better and better with treating COVID, I, I knew exactly on the timeline, what day they were sick how sick they were, what their trajectory is, about how long it would take to turn them around. So we could figure out, do they have room in the next 24 to 48 hours as they start to turn the corner, do they have room to get worse that we can support them at home um, with oxygen? So like all of the doctors who started treating COVID as an outpatient, our phones and emails were flooded with really, really sad stories of people just desperate for help. And I was blessed at the time with an ICU, um, a nursing team that was basically from the ICU. And we were able to operationalize that. And we did what we call second opinion consults or family support consults. Um, so we would evaluate the families with loved ones in the hospital. We would determine what their ability would be to take care of the patient at home. Um, things like going to the bathroom, could they get an oxygen concentrator, um, and if they were appropriate and the family was all on board and the patient met criteria, we would get them out against medical advice of the hospital. And um, we, we were very successful at doing that. We even had one patient that we brought out on hospice because he was on 80 to 90% high flow and he made the jump and he's now off of oxygen and playing with his grandchildren and just fine. Well, that is so awesome. And uh, I think it could not be overstated that the steroids were absolutely critical to combat the, or reduce the cytokine storm. And therefore, early treatment uh, was very, very important because the earlier you get the steroids on board, the less damage would be caused by the cytokine storm, which is the immune response to the spike protein. So... Um, I can see just tremendous benefit from that. And when I first heard of that, I realized, you know what, this is a move, a huge move that first gave patients hope in a really huge way. Um, and you would think that because of the successes we have actually had in early treatment and in these hospital settings, as they are called, um, you would think that other doctors would jump on board. I mean, they have to be seeing the benefits but why is it that so many doctors seem to be so slow to coming around, Dr. James? That I can't understand. Um, before COVID, I mean, you know, I was an ICU physician. I had a lot of friends in the field, you know, and otherwise. And now I have been, you know, as part of the persecution, really haven't talked to many of my colleagues. Um, but you would think they would be curious, like, what are you doing? And how does that work? And instead of being curious, what we have seen is when a patient goes to the hospital, if they start getting better, the hospital staff assumes that the patient is sneaking in ivermectin and stops them from, stops the family from bringing things in that they could be used to sneaking in ivermectin. So you just have to sit with that thought. They know their patients are going to get worse. 
when they see them getting better, they know it's ivermectin and they look for every way they can to shut it down. It is everything that is wrong with medicine right there in a nutshell. Um, well, you're talking about, um, you know, 1930s Nazi Germany physicians uh, who had evil intent. They did not want patients to get better. In fact, we saw that because what happens to the patient that has not taken the COVID jab and is offered that in the hospital, they get turned down. Well, we're not going to treat you that. I mean, I've, I've had people call me and tell me that this is the dilemma they're facing with their own family members in the hospital. Have you seen that same thing? have. So again, this kind of started last summer. So about a year ago, once the vaccines were widely available, right? Because when they first came out, it was very restricted. But once it was fairly widely available, the sentiment in the general medical community was if you didn't get a vaccine, you deserve to die. And how dare you expose them? It was a very blameful, hateful sentiment. When a patient would come in, it was they didn't get vaccinated. And so they were triaged to the left, which is the, the inferior treatment protocol. And if someone had had the, the shot, I hate to call it vaccine. If they had had the shot previously, you know, they were sent in a different place. Um, where this made a critical life changing difference is if you're in a rural hospital that doesn't have an ICU or isn't familiar with taking care of sick patients, the patient who had the shot got sent to the major academic center first, the person who didn't was allowed to sit there and die. And I know that firsthand. So it absolutely was a bias and discrimination for medical care. Absolutely. And let's just call it what it is. This is a genocide that has been in progress. When you intentionally tell people that, that they deserve to die for not taking a vaccine, I mean, think about how insane how evil this is Uh, and when have we ever seen such a thing in the past with regard to any vaccine our first uh, commitment as a physician is to save lives to help people who are hurting to bring healing and they are saying "Uh uh-uh not for you you're not following our protocol and it is just totally disgusting but i would like to move on because i got a few other points i want to discuss now recently Um, Well, actually, going back a little ways, I believe um, it was in July of 2021, the Federation of State Medical Boards uh, had decided that it was in the best interest of America to actually punish doctors for spreading misinformation uh, about the COVID vaccine. And so they said anybody that is not on board and uh, promoting the party line, they actually deserve to have their licenses suspended or revoked. And that was put out there. And of course, that what does that do? It generates fear in doctors because the, the worst thing that can happen to any doctor is the suspension or revo- revocation of their medical license. And so just recently, uh, the Federation of State Medical Boards just met in New Orleans for their 110th meeting, I believe it was. And in this meeting, they decided, among other things, to recommend officially a punishment of doctors for misinformation and disinformation. And the only difference between those being that 
disinformation is misinformation that is promoted vindictively as if you're really trying to hurt people. So when they came up with that rule, um, I was quite concerned about it. And I actually had a DO who is on the Federation of State Medical Boards and he attended the meeting and he contacted me and he told me that the vote and they did vote to approve this but the vote was to recommend censorship and um but it was a close vote it was actually very close even though they passed it there were a lot of dissenters on the board so um of course this already happened to me remember my license was suspended um on december 3rd 2020 for simply telling the truth, but they would call it disinformation. Even though I had 100% success in treating patients, it is still somehow disinformation. So I suppose probably the greatest fear of all doctors is the fear of corrupt state medical boards. Would you agree with that, Dr. James? I think it's a huge problem. And I actually am looking at the misinformation policy on the computer. And I just noticed, ironically, you're footnoted on page two, um, a WAPO article about you. Um, oh, how nice. Yeah, lovely, right? Um, so <laughs> what people need to realize is that medicine is managed at the state level. So that's why we have state medical boards. There's no federal entity that overlooks that other than Medicare because they pay dollars, right? So the Federation of State Medical Boards is an advisory um, resource to the medical boards. That's what it's supposed to be. And then each state is supposed to manage themselves. Um, what this policy does is number one says that the CDC is the ultimate and unquestioned source of true information. Um, So there's a vulnerability to the fact that we don't have one true source of information. If you look at any problem, you can look at it from a naturopathic perspective, a chiropractic perspective, an allopathic perspective, an osteopathic perspective, and every one of those people, and even getting into further, you know, health specialties, they're going to attack that problem differently and they may have great outcomes. So there is no one single source of information for medicine and healthcare. And that leaves them vulnerable because if that agency is captured, as many believe is what is happening right now, you've now put a policy on an agency that can be captured. The second thing that is missing from this policy is the fact that it doesn't say anything about in the event of poor patient outcomes. So, um, You know, I don't have any problem if somebody is out there and hurting patients and selling them, you know, they're saying this, I'm going to use the term snake oil is going to cure your COVID and it's $10,000 a vial and they're harming people and they're taking advantage of people. That's the reason we have medical boards, right? If they're mistreating and harming patients leading to a bad outcome, substance abuse, sexual uh, misconduct, things like that. Um, It is not the purpose of a medical board to suppress free speech, suppress debate, suppress people speaking their mind and talking honestly to their patients. And that is the way it is being weaponized. And more so than the people like you and like myself, you know, first, I believe you're one of the first. um, And I received letters of inquiry and things like that, which are chilling and it's not to affect you, right? Because they're not going to change you no matter what they do. They're going to change the 50 and 100 people who read the article about you that are seeing things that want to speak up that aren't going to because they don't want to go down the road that you went down and that some of our other colleagues are going down right now. 
Right. And, and like you said, it, this is a fear tactic. This is let's scare everybody. And in fact, I've been told by other doctors who have been censored by their state medical boards that I was used as an example. Do you want this to happen to you? What happened to Dr. LaTulip in Oregon? And, <laughs> and as you said, it has nothing to do with the outcomes. I actually thought that they would want to know, this is how naive I was, um, the fact that I had successful treatment, the fact that there was no contact tracing to my office and no evidence of any harm with regard to infectivity, even though we did not wear masks. Well, how come that happened? What are you doing right? Because your, your outcomes are very, very good and your patients are very happy. But no, it's not about patient outcome. It is about an agenda. And this is where you have to go beyond medicine to identify what that real agenda is. And that's something I think also that seems to scare doctors. Doctors are afraid to get out of their box and talk about it because let's face it, it's very unsettling. Not only do we risk the, the fear of being shamed and insulted and threatened with loss of um, productivity, loss of our medical license, but it also uh, shows us that we are no longer living in a free nation and it goes far beyond medicine. And what people need to realize, and I think most do, is that this process has been weaponized. So each state medical board has a reporting system. If you're a patient and you go see a physician and there's something about the encounter that is off, right? You're, you're dealt with sexually inappropriately. The patient, the doctor has alcohol in their breath, right? There, there's some kind of really something really wrong about the encounter, there's a legitimate way to report that and state your name and where you are and what happened. And we need that because we need to regulate ourselves as a profession. What has happened is the people who are filing these complaints are not our patients. They're not even in our state, nor have they ever met us. They are weaponized from social media and they are part of a, of a mob and the leader of the mob says, attack Dr. Steve Latula. And so you'll get, you know, I don't know what the number is, but you'll get a number of people filing false complaints to your medical board over this. And I have seen it used. Um, I think that's what happened to me as well. When you make comments and say, I'm treating patients with ivermectin, um, you get that. And I actually got a letter from the state of Washington because one of my team members um, treated a patient in Washington. The family member of the patient went ballistic, stating, if you take ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, you'll die, and just went off the handle, filed a report to the board. It had nothing to do with us. It was politically motivated. It was their own bias of information. There wasn't anything wrong with anything we did. Um, that, of course, has been dismissed, but it, it is politically motivated and weaponized. Yes. What you are saying, Dr. James, is that the government, which has no license to practice medicine, is saying to us, this is how we want you to practice medicine. The, the point really needs to be driven home because so many patients uh, are being harmed in a really big way when they actually think that the government is looking out for their best interests. And that simply is not the fact. Now, I'd like to move forward a little bit more. Um, we obviously are a growing group of doctors and other medical professionals 
who are standing against this tyranny, this weaponizing of medicine. And I'm telling you, I'm very excited to hear something that we recently have uh, put forth as a way of fighting this medical tyranny. And that is that we have some independent doctors now who do fully intend to remain faithful to their Hippocratic oath. And they're actually forging a new path forward. And it offers a great deal of hope to patients. Dr. Molly James, would you please do us the honor of sharing this new movement? Yes. So um, we are actively looking for a hospital and we have interest um, to create a medical freedom hospital. Um, of course, wherever there's opportunity for that, there is usually financial vulnerability and some instability, right? Because the, the corporate medical places that are successful wouldn't even consider it. Um, but we are looking at forging ahead and creating a place where patients can go. They can receive medical care without being harassed, bullied, coerced. Um, there are so many people that, I mean, take COVID off the table. There's so many people who won't go to the doctor because they don't want to wear a mask. They don't want to be harassed. You know, how many people have you talked to that have gone in for, you know, problem X, my sinuses, I need a colonoscopy, this or that. And the whole conversation is about, did you get the vaccine? And people tell me they won't send their kids, their high school kids to the doctor because they're afraid they'll get bullied. So you need a place to go where you know those things won't happen. When you walk through the door, your priorities are that, that doctor's priorities. And I believe we have a number of hospitals worth of employees and staff and other people, like you said, nurses, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, who have been ousted from the hospitals because they're not going to submit and take this jab and they see what's going on. And we have identified a hospital that was on board. We're going to see where that goes. There's some ownership change um, happening currently, um, but we're pretty optimistic we're going to get one one of these days. Well, it needs to happen. And I want to define that for you, uh, Dr. James. You mentioned the term medical freedom hospital. Now, uh, let me just define that as um, being equivalent to saying America first, which has become very popular among conservatives, what we're looking at in a medical freedom hospital is a patient first uh, yes. scenario. And that's the way medicine used to be. That's what made American medicine terrific. And the fact that we could have discussions about different ways of treatment, that's called science. It's called investigation and scientific inquiry. And that's how we make discoveries. When you shut down discussion, then the advances of science and medicine go away. And yeah. that is exactly what they want. So the concept of medical, medical freedom hospitals and even clinics, um, this is a great movement forward. And actually, we've already been given a report of one independent surgical center that has done very, very well. And even employers uh, of these patients are catching on and realizing that there's a tremendous amount of money to be saved when you remove all of the political bureaucracy of medicine and the patients benefit in a tremendous way. So I think this is something very exciting. What's the chance of this happening in the very near future with this hospital? Um, we have interest. Like I said, there was a shift in ownership um, li literally in the last 10 days since we 
talked and had announced that there's been a change in ownership. So it's just a matter of letting that process happen and see how committed the new owners are. Um, regardless if this specific facility pans out or not, we have been looking now for almost nine months and we will find the right opportunity to bring this to people. Well, that is good news. And I think it's going to happen. I really do, because we are hearing about the winds of change now. Um, evil can be pushed to only to a certain degree until finally truth breaks through and people decide in the truth is true liberty. And it's also good for your health. Well, Dr. James, I greatly appreciate all of your valuable information that you shared with us today. It's, it's exciting to know that there are doctors like you who are responsible and who have the guts to stand up and say, I will take whatever persecution may come and I will fight it. And no matter what they do to our reputations, they cannot rob us of our character. And I believe you do have a whole bunch of character. So thank you for coming on board. And would you please share with our listeners how people can actually contact you for medical care and perhaps other questions? Yes. So um, I am on Twitter at, at Malls James, M-O-L-S James. Um, our website is jamesclinic.com. Uh, we are on Instagram at james underscore clinic. Uh, we're pretty active on those, those formats. Um, and Steve, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, it's nice to know we're in the fight together and um, you've led the charge. So I appreciate you. Well, I thank you. Just remember, we are not alone. Thank you, Dr. James. Well, the fight for medicine is really a fight for America. Thanks to people like Dr. Molly James and now thousands of other good physicians who are finally willing to put their reputations and their very livelihood on the line for truth and justice, America actually has a chance. We can win this. We all have a responsibility, however, to spread the truth, to speak it boldly and proudly and loudly. We must not be the silent majority any longer. If you really do love your God and you love your country, then prove it by joining the righteous fight to save America. The enemy of your soul would have you believe you are alone or you are too weak or you don't have enough knowledge and you are otherwise incompetent. As a Christian warrior and as a patriot, please do not believe that lie. Whether you take action from a Whenever you take action from a right motive, you will always succeed. You've been listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip and Dr. Molly James. I appreciate you being with us today, and I ask that you please be a part of making America one nation under God once again. Let's make America great again. Until next week, adieu.